The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The opinions expressed here reflect the judgment of the host and are subject to change. The material has been prepared and can be distributed for information purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. Additional information is available upon request. Please contact Jason Steele at info at westonbanks.com. Welcome to Media and Your Money with host Jason Steele. Our program will help you make the most of your investment plans, whether it's for your future, your child's future, or short and long-term financial planning. Now, here is your host, Jason Steele. Good morning, Carolina. Wake up, California. It's another nice day here in the uh, south. We're about uh, probably 82 to 85 degrees this morning, probably heading to the highs of the hundreds um, with the heat index here in the Carolinas. Um, my name is Jason Steele. I'm your host of Media and Your Money. And today we are going to be talking a couple strategies. Uh, I'm going to break down last week, uh, the 4th of July week. We'll go through an equity strategy commentary. We'll talk about some fixed income that's happened, some international strategies, uh, and then we'll talk about a couple items that are on my agenda. Um, but first, just kind of get some stuff out of the way. What about World Cup? You know, I know this is all about finances, but I do have to say I'm a soccer buff, and I've told you guys that a couple times on my on the radio. But that seven to one beatdown uh, that Germany put over Netherlands was was definitely uh, uh, a crumble. I always wondered. I didn't get a chance to do this. That if the uh, the equity markets in Brazil probably would have folded. Uh, you know, with the uh, with a beatdown like that, or if we had something like that in the U.S., would that cause a scare that the U.S. is in a world power? It's just kind of a funny story to to think about um, the reality of how much money that Brazil put into their stadiums, uh, billions of dollars. Um, when people can't eat, people can't you know find food, can't find jobs, and I think it's going to become a a, a, a long term effect of what they were able to do. I mean, we've heard about people getting killed on some bridges that collapsed that uh, were not able to uh, uh, get roads get finished. So I was even one, reading one article where they built a stadium in the middle of the Amazon jungle. It's about 25, 30 miles in the jungle with a road going there, and that's it. You get there, it's a big old stadium to, to host about eight games, and then you, you get back out to Rio de Janeiro. So anyway, off to that. So let's talk about the equity markets. So... Um, you know, yesterday was different. Yesterday, stocks finished higher for the first time in three sessions. The Dow rose nearly 79 points to finish just under 17,000. The S&P gained nine points uh, to finish in a high of 1972. And the NASDAQ rebounded from its worst day before we were down 100-something points uh, since May as it increased 27 points to 4,419. And what we saw was a lot of investors were focused on on the start of a second quarter earnings uh, season, and the Fed 
you know, was trying to get some things out of the way. Uh, we saw a couple of stocks like Alcoa. They rallied 5.5% to $15.67 and after posting earnings results well above analyst est- estimates. Now, if you're a first-time listener here on our show for Meeting Your Money, you're, you, the premise of my show is to always kind of talk about what's working now and the common denominator you can find and the, and the, uh, the, the, the access to media uh, of how it affects the equity markets. I don't think it's as much fundamental anymore as, as it is things like Voice America, as like CNBC, as it's Twitter, Facebook, posting, links, likes, all those things. Um, the, the market is, is purely supply and demand. The more you buy something, the more it goes up. The more you sell something, the more it goes down. So an example for this would be the Salcoa. You get an announcement that comes over the the, 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 the newspapers, the, the, the media, the waves, the, the technology, and they announce before the bell. And next thing you know, uh, they're up 5.5%. Back in the 80s, they would announce before the bell and people would go home and read the papers and said that was a great announcement. And then you spend weeks looking into that announcement. And then the stock might trickle up 5.5% over the next 6 to 10 weeks, not a day. So... Uh, other profits that were 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 out there: uh, the Container Store, which dropped eight point four percent in a day, to twenty four dollars and seventy nine cents. And Bob Evans, our, uh, our our barbecue favorite here in the South, lost four point four percent to forty seven fifty eight after both companies missed profit expectations and delivered disappointing full year outlooks. Now, on the monetary policy front. Uh, there were some minutes yesterday from the June Federal Open Market Committee meeting, which revealed that the central bank will end its monthly bond buying program in October, and interest rates will likely remain low for a considerable time. Now, if you kind of follow what we've been talking about, you know, we've been talking about pulling back the stimulus. Uh, uh, the central bank has been started off at $85 billion, we're down to $35 billion, and now they just said yesterday, we're done. October, there'll be no more. There's enough legs to stand on the U.S. economy to not be buying any more paperback. So it actually you know, didn't hurt, our, hurt us yesterday. So if you go back and look what's going on in the economy, we didn't have another 200-point swing. We just basically you know, kind of stayed flat. Um, some officials expressed concern about some low volatility in the market and said the central bank should monitor excessive risk-taking. Nine of the 10 S&P 500s yesterday uh, advanced. Consumer discretionary and energy were the were the best performing groups. Comcast jumped about two point six percent to fifty five dollars, and ExxonMobil rose about a half a percent to one hundred three. The New York Stock Exchange uh, volume totaled more than two point eight billion shares, and then on the New York Stock Exchange, we had more uh, adva- we had advancers beat decliners by seven to five um, on issues in two to one volume, from what I can see here. The NASDAQ was 5 to 4 positive on issues and 2 to 1 positive on volume. Treasuries were a little unchanged, and the government auction of the 10-year note attracted below average demand, and the 10-year still was low at 2.55%. And the 30-year bond was flat at 337 So it's still a good time to get a mortgage. It's still uh, uh, relatively inexpensive. You can still get four and a quarter probably out there, have great credit, 375 those are some of the things that we're seeing out there in the, in the, in the marketplace right now. So um, let's take a look at uh, uh, some things that we're looking at in the market today. Um, let's look at this morning's news. So if I look at right now, 
Looks like the stock index futures are indicating a lower open. Um, the Dow, S&P are about a half a percent below fair value. The major averages looks like they're going to be poised to give back yesterday's gains. Um, let's look at the economic data in the field. So jobless claims unexpectedly fell this morning by 11,000 last week to 304,000, the lowest level since May. Uh, let's look here. An update on wholesale inventories is due out. It hasn't seen if it's announced yet. Um, at, that's going to be coming at 10, which is anticipated to show some stockpiles increase by about a half a percent in May. On the Fed front, we, we St. Louis Fed President James Bullard said inflation may exceed the central bank's target and strengthen the case for a hike in interest rates early next year. Um, in addition, Stanley Fisher will also deliver his first major speech as vice chairman of the Fed. Uh, profit tallies are also going attention. See, lumber liquidators is falling 21% in early auction. La, 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 all the stuff that you probably don't care about as a listener. Um, on the fixed income front, treasuries are rising this morning. So we saw yesterday uh, we were uh, uh, up at 337. Looks like the 10-year note, uh, treasuries are rising, therefore yields fall. Looks like we're about 3.33 this morning. And the 10-year looks like it's uh, uh, 250. Um, so what I want to do today is we're going to break down a couple sectors. We're going to give you a, a, a highlight on the international strategy um, that we see going forward, uh, a fixed income strategy, and an equity strategy, and then we'll kind of uh, finish the show with kind of an investment strategy. But let's start with international. And I think when you go back and look what's happening in the world, you know, the U.S. has been one of the, the largest out there uh, uh, to basically uh, lead the way. And you're seeing a lot of the the interest rates overseas being dropped, they're trying to stimulate their economy. So the concept would be if you drop rates, you have nowhere to go but to invest in the companies. Um, you've got to basically, uh, you're not going to get you know half a percent of your money. But we also see the opportunity to build out and be profitable in these different sectors. So um, in our model, as I'll go back and look for the common denominator out there, uh, what I have seen by a couple major institutions as they've started to add South Africa. So uh, with both the U.S. and Chinese economies showing improvement, we see an opportunity to become more cyclical in our list of satellites. So our favorite is going to be South Africa now. As one of the largest economies on the African continent, it is benefiting from local demographic factors such as fast population growth, a relatively young population that's both becoming more productive and demanding a higher standard of living. Um, I think in the coming course, what we're going to see, it could benefit from the strengthening economies of its main international trade partners like Europe and China and the United States. Uh, and lastly, South Africa is an important global producer of gold and palladium. And the recent end of a labor dispute makes an important new positive factor. So when we go back and look at some, let's kind of break it down even further. Last week's payrolls release showed that the U.S. economy added 288,000 jobs that we just mentioned, which was much better than expected. <clears throat> the unemployment rate dropped about 6.1%, which is the lowest since before the financial crisis. This was a relief because the, the first quarter domestic product, the GDP number, had many investors worried about how quickly the U.S. would bounce back from the weather-related issues. Now, with markets at all-time highs, a weak number would probably have been a very big disappointment. 
Thankfully, that was not the case, and the global stocks rallied. Um, so you need, remember, there's a connection here. So as interest rates rose and the U.S. dollar appreciated versus uh, many of its peers, the positive reaction was largely due to the U.S. economy's historic role of, uh, of leading the global economy. You know, uh, as I go back and look at some at some data in my notes, when when the U.S. sneezes, the rest of the world catches a cold. So that still holds true. At the same time, the Chinese economy has gained much more importance. And as the second largest economy in the world, China has a large uh, growth rate that is more uh, than twice that of the U.S. This makes the future pace of China's uh, growth equally important for investors to follow. Now, recent Chinese purchasing management index uh, readings indicate that some improvement in the economy the pickup in economic activity most likely comes from the stimulus measures the government in Beijing is using to maintain stable economy. China's leaders are in the middle of a, of a long reform program that seeks to uh, create a more sustainable growth rate. But the reforms have slowed activity in the sectors that were the fastest growing. Now, Beijing is now trying to manage the slowdown by injecting its own stimulus spending. Um, as we go through and, and look for other areas uh, along with South Africa, uh, uh, we believe that because of South Africa uh, uh, being able to increase its labor market, uh, the, the outlook remains you know, better for all those countries in Europe and, 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 and everywhere else. Now, we, we as investors um, definitely believe that the U.S. market will continue to outperform these other countries um, here at Western Banks. We, we believe that the U.S., you know, I think up roughly, I don't know the number this morning, I think 5.8 on the, on the S&P um, Will, will be a leader. So emerging markets will kind of still recover slowly. So we encourage our listeners uh, not to chase higher yields within fixed income, and, and we recommend investors underweight develop debt in other countries. We also remain very underweight commodities, but the recent price decline that we've seen in our models and, and in the fundamentals are making this be more constructive. So our listeners, if you're listening, we, we should rebalance our portfolios, and as our portfolios are being rebalanced, with our focus on your portfolios at Western Banks, uh, you should rebalance portfolios and continue to use the what we call a core satellite approach to investing when you look at inter- international. Um, that involves putting maybe half the allocation in broadly diversified core positions, uh, such as Netherlands, Germany, Sweden, Switzerland, Ireland, New Zealand, um, within developed markets. And that's what we've done in our IRA enhancer product. Um, that the, Some other markets like Taiwan, Malaysia, Poland, South Korea, and now South Africa and emerging markets will be added and, and some of those energy sectors and those commodities. So, so that's kind of our take on the international market right now for, for last week as well as for where we're going forward. Um, again, we are positioning for some better growth by adding South Africa. Uh, if, you're, if you've listened to our show for the last couple of weeks, we talk about the IRA Enhancer the IRA Enhancer is a place where we don't really think about taxes. We can move tactically between the sectors, look for the common denominator, uh, move in and out of those sectors, and and uh, try to uh, wait where the rest of the world might be waiting at the same time. Because again, supply and demand. If most of the world waits there, it causes the the supply uh, demand for the for that stock, and it maybe make it go up. So now we're going to take a brief break, and when I get back, we're going to break down a fixed income strategy. And in that fixed income strategy, we're going to show you and talk about what happened in the first half for bond investors, which was, which was a highlight 
so far for the year. So stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time for our special series on the future of business. Learn how you can become the transformational leader who takes your company across the finish line as you look ahead to the next breakthrough wave of innovation. The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP on the Business Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Media and Your Money with Jason Steele. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to jason.steele at westonbanks.com. That's jason.steele at westonbanks.com. Now, back to media and your money. Welcome back. Um, okay, we just kind of finished up a quick wrap on the international markets. Uh, we, we kind of mentioned that uh, we added South Africa. Despite the ups and downs of going international, we're staying on track. Uh, again, I'm going to preface this. We here at Western Banks prefer the U.S. equity markets first, but again, followed by Europe, Japan, and emerging markets. We had just mentioned about reducing uh, local currency holdings and developed sovereign debt markets and taking the dollar-denominated holdings in emerging markets um, and, and, and look for strategic allocations in, uh, in South Africa as one of our new targets. Um, I'm going to bring you back around to fixed income, and we'll probably only spend 8 to 10 minutes here, and then we'll take another break. But uh, uh, I'm going to talk about the uh, last week's market, the first part of the quarter, and basically a weekly look at developments in the fixed income markets right now. But first, let me just go ahead and, and brag. Uh, we have talked about you know being in bonds and staying in fixed income um, and getting rewarded for the dividend payments. We had a strong first half for bond investors. So after a difficult 2013 where you kind of saw, uh, again, the access to media – uh, uh, ben Bernanke was was often like forced to to make some comments about reducing bond purchasing power, and that he might uh, you know cut bond path. We saw back in May of last year he made that announcement the ten year Treasury go from you know about about one fifty to to two eighty two. That was a pretty big move in about the four to five weeks. So as those rates 
go up, the bond prices go down. And so we finished roughly last year some some on the short end of this curve, uh, right around 50 basis points negative, middle of the curve between two and three percent negative, and the long end of the curve somewhere you know about three three and a half percent negative for the year. Um, so after this difficult 2013, every fixed income sector that we monitor here at Western Banks posted positive returns during the first half of 2014. So we, we, if you don't know this, we've only taken six months of the year out of the way. Uh, we're, we're starting July, the seventh month. The volatility that investors experienced last year, it kind of took a backseat uh, to, to stability as yields pushed lower. So during that first six months, there were several meaningful events that the bond market experienced with little reaction. Uh, there was an uneventful handover of leadership at the Federal Market Committee, as we saw Ben Bernanke pass the torch to Janet Yellen. Uh, the Fed started to taper, as we saw it kind of slow down its purchase of the U.S. Treasury and agency bonds in a process that should end during the fourth quarter. And we heard today that we ended it you know, in October, as we announced yesterday. With little reaction from the market, okay? So the Fed also elected to pin its future policies more on its own qualitative assessments of the market rather than a quantitative measure, such as the unemployment rate, which continues to improve. Well, the event that many bond investors came to fear, the reduction of new bond purchases, it's really had little impact on interest rates as expectations were built into the market during this 2013. The Federal Open Market Committee it continued to scale back new easing purchases. And at the, po- at the, the most recent meeting, they reduced monthly purchases by an additional $10 billion, which was you know a week and a half ago. Currently, the Fed right now still purchases $15 billion per month of mortgage-backed securities and $20 billion of treasuries down from the $35 billion and $40 billion at the beginning of the year. So should the Fed continue to scale back, which we said they will, they will stop it in October. New purchases will probably end Halloween, October 31st, 2014. Now, as interest rates moved lower and this curve flattened, longer maturities benefited the most during the first six months of 2014. The 10-year Treasury began the year yielding roughly about 302 and declined throughout the first half, hitting a low of 244 on May 28th. The 10-year Treasury then bounced back to about roughly 253, a decrease of 49 basis points, and then 30-year treasuries declined 61 basis points to end the first half at 3.36, as the relationship between 10 and 30-year maturities kind of flattened, which means you know they kind of cut, covered that gap. There's not a big disparity. The duration present in longer maturity instruments allowed the longer end of the curve to strongly outperform from a return perspective. The Bank of America Merrill Lynch U.S. Treasury 10-year plus index increased about 10.9% in the first half, reversing losses from last year. The shorter one to five-year and five to 10-year indices posted smaller positive returns of about 75 basis points and 3.43% respectively. Individual fixed income sectors, they all were positive for the first half as investors continued their search for yield pushing spreads to even tighter levels. Now, those things called preferred securities, which actually are companies own, they pay out before, um, uh, they pay after bonds and then goes preferreds. They're the biggest beneficiary of the demand for yield. 
uh, with the Bank of America Merrill Lynch uh, Preferred Stock Rate Index, which is a which is a good index to monitor, uh, returning about twelve percent for the first six months. So think about that. If you had bought preferred securities this past year, our our investors were were really looking for yield and not like liking getting their two and one and a half, uh, two two point three two and two point five percent. So you force themselves to preferred, which basically is a a safer investment than owning common stocks, um, where we had a twelve percent return with probably an average yield of four to five. Um, emerging market debt, which again bonds, uh, returned about nine percent over the over the last six months. All other taxable sectors saw positive returns between roughly two point nine and five point eight during the first half. Now, with those sectors that feature long durations or credit exposure, they land kind of in the upper range of that of that 5.8. Now, the municipal municipal market, which is a tax-free market to receive, uh, also posted some strong first half with the Bank of America Merrill Lynch uh, Municipal Master Index returning about 5.9. The longer duration inherent on the municipal market helped the sector uh, kind of post some pretty much some strong earnings, as did a favorable supply calendar. Now, it was notable that municipal investors were able to look past both the downgrades of Puerto Rico, which took the high-profile credit below investment grade, and the bankruptcy in Detroit. So even as we expect demand for fixed income assets to remain strong during the rest of the year, underlying fundamentals, basically falling employment, economic expansion, and maybe even eventual ending of the new Fed purchase by October 31st, um, it kind of suggests that interest rates are likely to increase gradually over time. So during the 2014 second half, which means from July through December, you know, Western banks, uh, we believe that the, uh, we expect interest rates to move modestly higher from current levels. But we also anticipate that any increases will be well contained. Now, a controlled rising rate environment should allow fixed income investors to generate positive returns, which means as you, as you raise rates, you know, the bond prices come down, we, we expect a well-diversified uh, U.S. investment-grade fixed income investor will generate an average annual total return, uh, probably interest income, plus the price appreciation of about 2 to 4% in the years ahead. Um, now, during the second half of 2014, we also expect the credit, which is the fixed income investments other than government issues will continue to outperform. We think that'll be doing well. But the value proposition for our listeners uh, and for other investors is kind of diminished significantly as this excess yield that we're seeing in the marketplace available um, in all kinds of products is significantly less attractive than in the past. So the the playbook right now, I would say, for, for our listeners and for other investors, for bond investors, it appeals relatively straightforward. Just keep it simple. Own bonds for the potential stability they offer in a well-allocated portfolio, from a, but don't reach for yield. And make sure your portfolio is diversified in that short term, that midterm, that long term. <clears throat> so let me reiterate that quickly. Um, during the second half of 2014, we expect interest rates to move modestly higher but anticipate that any increases will be will be well contained. So we remain neutral on the high yield, okay, which is junk bonds. It's a space that's kind of given our near-term expectations of relative 
uh, credits, and we urge your listeners to uh, and our investors to proceed with caution over the next six months in high yield. So again, our playbook for bond investors is to keep it simple. Own bonds for potentially stability they offer in a well-allocated portfolio and don't reach for yield. Okay, and make sure it's diversified. So I'm going to back up and talk about the process that Weston Banks has. And again, you can, you can go to our website at westonbanks.com. We have uh, our focus directed portfolios. Each portfolio is categorized. So if you're new as a listener, the way we manage money is we think you need to have three buckets. Your appreciation bucket for your all-in, you know, uh, be, be very uh, speculative, high-risk, long-term, or appreciation bucket, no matter what happens in any kind of market environment, in a distressed market environment, we'll go to cash. We will actually pick the panic button and take our folks to cash. We don't believe in buy and hold. Our B bucket, which are those that we look for, for middle-of-the-road bonds as well as some equity hybrids, some MLPs. There are some things reaching for yield there, but not very much. Um, try to yielding 4.2, 4.5% in that portfolio. It's an income, get paid while you wait. And then our conservation bucket, which is now our fixed income that we just talked about. Um, you know, keep it simple. Uh, conservation is 2 to 3 to 4%. Uh, try not to lose money. And as we just mentioned today, if you've been invested in bonds for the year, you're already up, you know, 4 to 4 to 5% on average in our conservation as well as probably the average bond out there, which means you've made more money than you thought you'd make in bonds this year. So now we're going to, uh, uh, and our strategy, when you kind of create like what's called a financial plan, we like to say, great, take a, a, a stance of if you want to make 8% of your money, what happens when you make 15? When you, if you make 15 like you did last year, on the equity side, you would raise that equity side, move it to your bond side. And if you did that last year, just like I mentioned today, you probably would average 4 to 5% on a very conservative basis to keep it simple on some yield um, in a very diversified uh, 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 bond portfolio. Um, so that is my take on the fixed income market, that the playbook is going to be to own bonds for potential stability not for yield, uh, and keep it allocated. So we're going to take another break, and when we come back, we're going to move you into kind of an equity strategy. And then uh, uh, and, and what, what the second quarter uh, did, and we're going to look for the third quarter from the equity side, what we would think owning stocks would mean and where to own stocks. So keep with us. We'll be back in a few minutes. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. 
Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday, 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Media and Your Money with Jason Steele. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to jason.steele at westonbanks.com. That's jason.steele at westonbanks.com. Now, back to media and your money. Good morning, California. Now, you're probably about 6.30. You guys are getting your coffee. Now, I always kind of mention that. Get your coffee, get in your car, turn it on. Start listening to what's going forward because by the time you guys get in the car to go to work, the market is opening. And uh, as I can go back and look right now, the market opened about five minutes ago. And we currently are uh, – oh, gosh, I didn't have the system up. Uh, we currently are looking at uh, uh, a positive – actually, a negative opening here this morning. Um, it looks like we are – down 159 points here at uh, 9.36 Eastern Time, 6.36 out west, and uh, it looks like it's a pretty bad time. So we had that, that negative t- period we're talking about for posting this morning in the futures, it definitely is, is happening. That's going to be one of our biggest declines if we finish up uh, uh, today with this, with this kind of volume on the downside. So let's look at an equity strategy. Um, we just kind of finished up on fixed income, but let's look at equity. Uh, let's look at uh, uh, what happened uh, during the second quarter, and, and now we're looking for second quarter earnings, which means as you end June, you now have to turn around and, and, and let companies post their profits to their shareholders. So let me look at my notes. So although investors have plenty of news to focus on this summer, 
Uh, it's like uh, we expect them to pay particular attention to second quarter earnings releases and corporate commentaries over the course of the next six weeks. At this point, the street, which is basically the streets of the S&P 500 index, operating earnings estimates are averaging in the $117 to $118 area. We've been carrying about $118 S&P 500 index operating earning expectation for the year, and we believe the target may be pretty conservative. Um, now, the U.S. economy started uh, last week, uh, uh, July 3rd uh, week, um, with its first U.S. GDP down about 2.9 versus the fourth quarter on an annualized basis. The S&P 500 index operating earnings were also down about 2.9 when comparing first quarter to fourth quarter results. However, much of that weakness appears to have resulted from poor weather conditions across the continent in the early years of this economic cycle, the first quarter earnings have tended to run higher than first quarter results. This was the case into the first quarter of 2013, which was off a touch. As the cycle moves along, a later stage slow growth economy is likely to result in more modest earnings comparisons between the final first quarter of one year and beginning of the next. However, this year's first quarter results were impacted materially by weather. So let's go back and look at the recent months. The economic indicators and data have shown a pickup from earlier this year, and we have foreseen a, a carry-through in second quarter operating earnings. Uh, the first quarter operating earnings increased by only about 5.5% versus results in 2013's first quarter. We believe that the second quarter results, which ended on, in uh, last week, uh, uh, are likely to increase at a pace of about 8%, due to continuing economic growth and some rebound from the first quarter slowdown. Now, leading economic data suggests that second-half earnings growth from year to year is likely to surpass that of the first. So this appears to be due not only to the weakness of the first quarter, but also continuing stability growth throughout the last half of the year. Overall, while the market may experience some volatility during earnings season on the heels of market strength during mid-April, we believe that the second half uh, fundamentals going from now should drive the S&P index to a- another new high, despite today's decline. Uh, we carry about a 1975 to 2025 S&P 500 index target for the year end at this point. Now, in the coming weeks, we'll probably be commenting on early earnings releases and the, in, in the implications on the show um, uh, for Voice America. Now, with this week's report that I must go over from last week, uh, we've included some forward-looking work on the overall U.S. corporate after-tax profit back to late 1962. So overall, the U.S. earnings versus solely the S&P 500 index earnings. So when you go back and look at it, it's the, uh, we reference, uh, I'll try to reference a chart uh, uh, that goes back to 62. So when I go back and look at this chart, um, we have an annualized historical results uh, for net profits is going to be much, much, much higher. Um, our work suggests that a 6.8% increase in second half earnings results versus the first half for the U.S. Co- corporate net profits after taxes. The outcome appears aligned with a message from the Conference Board's index, which is a a group that met, indicating that a a variety of forward-looking indicators 
that uh, we will discuss probably in a few weeks um, will be some other strategies that we can update that profits will continue to rise. Now, we'll be watching and we'll be listening as second quarter uh, results are, are released and as managements discuss their quarter and make public their thoughts on the year. And we'll try to hopefully, if we get a couple of those in the shows, the, the next few weeks. Um, so last week's performance, just so you know, the S&P 500 was up about 1.2%. And the Dow was up one3 The Nasdaq was up 2 uh, the year-to-date performance through last Friday, again, not, not Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of this week, but the S&P was up 7.4% last, uh, through the year through last Friday. Um, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average was, was up 3, and the Nasdaq was up 7.4. Again, S&P 500, strong, strong numbers already for a year that I would have said probably would average 5 to 7, go sideways, have some opportunity to... To, to cool off last year's big gains. Um, the best performing sectors last week were still going to be healthcare, um, uh, consumer discretionary, and information technology, all three of which we own in the information in the, in the IRA enhancer uh, and the UMA model. Um, what was probably the worst was utilities. You know, we had a big run in the first half of the year, and we're now seeing a pull back there. Um, now, equity investors, if you're, if you're out there listening, if you're out there trying to trade stocks, uh, uh, they continue to price in reasonable valuations. Uh, earnings expectations in a modest growth economy. Last week's economic data largely confirmed that, that view that we were seeing some um, expansion. All things considered, the U.S. economy is moving ahead in the right direction. I use the term steady as she goes. You know, we talked about me going to the beach and doing a lot of fishing, but steady as she goes. Um, and stocks like that, that kind of environment. Um, the big report that came out last week, though, on the calendar was the employment data that we mentioned earlier in the show, covering for the month of June. The ADP employment change report showed that nearly 300,000 jobs were added during the last month. Now, keep in mind that, that the report usually gives investors only a reliable directional indication of the labor market. So when you go back and look at meeting your money, you know, we keep talking about a declining labor market that is good news. People are going back to work. People are beginning to, to buy goods and services. And when they buy goods and services, they make money for companies. And then those companies um, go up uh, for, for strong profits that we end up announcing on the, on the media uh, and then move forward. Um, so now that 300,000 job uh, correlates with the actual non-farm payroll number. That wasn't great. Uh, but we always recommend that uh, that listeners that you should not put too much faith in the ADP numbers. We've always said that every 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 year. But this time, however, the ADP and the non-farm payroll numbers were unusually close in terms of the magnitude. So, for example, in June, the 288,000 net new non-payroll jobs were added by the employers. Now, this was well in excess of the approximately 215,000 jobs that consensus was expecting. So I correct myself. It was actually better. Um, in addition, the unemployment rate fell to about 6.1%, a better than expected level. Note that our projection for the unemployment rate at the end of the year is 6.2. So we're better off that we announced last year we're looking for 6.2 or at 6.1. Now, drilling that down, it appears that the wages continue to grow at a slow pace with average hourly earnings up just uh, 2% over the last 12 months. Now, that's virtually in line with the 12-month change in, in the consumer price index. In other words... The workers continue to tread water in terms of income versus inflation. Now, of course, 
the labor force participation rate is always a topic of conversation when the employment data is released. And that rate stayed roughly at uh, about 62.8%, which is a 35-year low. Uh, That indicator measures the percent of the population that is between the ages of 16 and 65 that are employed or seeking employment. Now, a smaller percentage of labor force participation could have longer-term spending implications as those out of the work force really trend to, to rein in discretionary spending given that they are no longer earning an income. Now, what I call pensioners, um, folks who are taking money from their pensions, they, they typically receive less than their annual income while they were actively employed, and therefore they have less to spend on discretionary items. So we're kind of studying here at Western Banks the factor more closely and, and, and hope to better understand the long-term effects of, of that trend on overall consumer discretionary spending. But overall, the June employment report was good, but not great. Now, the Institute for Supply Management, which we call the ISM, also released both their manufacturing and services sector surveys last week. So as we suspected, both of these surveys remain close to the mid-50 levels. As a reminder, that ISM survey reflect expansions that when readings are above 50 and contractions when below. So the manufacturing survey came in at 55.3, which is a touch below expectations, while the services segment survey reading was about 56, also slightly below the consumer estimate. Now, both of these readings are in line with a modest growth economy. So recessions usually occur for our listeners when the readings on both of these indicators are in the mid to low 40s. We think it's unlikely that either indicator will fall below 45 over the next couple of years. So if you kind of follow what we're talking about, I mean, it's uh, I'm giving you a lot of information that might be over your head, but again, you have to know all this information to be able to report and how, how the media takes it in to put out on CNBC, to put out on the internet, on the airwaves, and, and there's a lot of institutions that are trading money based on numbers. Let's go to vehicle sales. Uh, Vehicle sales continue to be a big bright spot right now in the American economy. The total vehicle sales came in at roughly uh, 17 million units in annualized rate in June, which is an impressive number. Uh, The replacement is a big driver of car sales as the average car on the road in the U.S. today is more than 10 years old. It's hard to believe, but true, according to the data provided by the organizations at the AAA. I have a new car I bought last June. I'm still driving uh, another car that's about nine years old. My wife is. Now, any work we do looking forward uh, continues to suggest that vehicle sales remain strong through the rest of the year. Now, this week um, features a rather light economic calendar that we kind of saw come out. The business confidence and weekly agnostic jobless claims came out this morning. Uh, Most investors were also focused on the minutes that came out this morning in monetary policy uh, meeting that came out. Um, earnings season is also approaching, and we'll begin to you know hear those next week, and, and we'll be reporting some of those as the, as the show goes on. Um, as I'm talking and watching the market, uh, obviously, uh, we told you this morning that the futures were, were negative. Well, that negative sentiment is now driving into the marketplace, and we are seeing the market down 175 points today um, as we speak at, at, at 650 uh, if you're out in California, 950 here in the east. The market is going to be uh, uh, 
tuned in to looking for anything that the Federal Market Committee might reveal in terms of timing of the future interest rates of hikes, and we heard that we're going to be taking that a lot. So we're not really looking for any fireworks from the minutes, but we did hear that we cut the, uh, the, uh, the stimulus. So where we see right now is that we still are overweighting in our IRA enhancer and other portfolios. We still overweight consumer discretionary, uh, industrials, information technology, cons- uh, and, and we basically even weight in our IRA enhancer in our other portfolios, consumer staples, energy, financials, uh, materials, and telecom. Uh, and then we're now underweighting uh, healthcare and utilities. So let's take another break. And when we come back, we'll, give, we'll kind of wrap up the show and give you our, uh, uh, our last strategy of uh, investment strategy for the next uh, uh, few months. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Media and Your Money with Jason Steele. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to jason.steele at westonbanks.com. That's jason.steele at westonbanks.com. Now, back to media and your money. So I just kind of finished up with uh, talking about the equity strategy. And I know you guys, if you're listening still and you stayed with us, it's, it's kind of a different show today. We, we were breaking down the first half of the year from an from international strategy to an equity strategy to, uh, to, to overseas what's happening. Like I said, that's international uh, fixed income. Um, but I want to also stress it's not good to be a trader. So um, you don't want to trade every day. Um, I mean, I have lots of friends in the hedge fund and asset management arena in my circle, and, and we have a great deal of respect for the work that they do and the insights they share, but, but we typically don't allocate to them for our customer accounts because as fiduciaries, we just can't make the math work despite their gross returns. So I have a couple of colleagues out there that are with a couple of firms, and I had them take a look at just how fantastic uh, uh, gains would have been uh, to be above and beyond the market's return to make weekly trading worthwhile. It turns out that over the long run, you have to be a superman in the market, capable of something utterly incredible, and even when it, it might not be all that helpful. So frequent trading in a taxable account is not going to do you any favors, no matter how good you are. Now, as for meeting your money and our IRA enhancer, our trading is based on a common denominator that we see the market moving forward. So we have only made about six trades. We didn't make any trades last month in the UMA model. We made one trade last month reducing utilities as we saw the common denominator. And I just mentioned that utilities was down for the year. Um, So uh, uh, I want to give you an idea. 
imagine you're John Templeton or George Soros or, or Paul Tudor Jones, all rolled up into the world's greatest trader. Now, since 1990, you were able to beat the S&P 500 every year by 40%. Now, if the market was up 10%, you were up 14 and If the market was fell 10 you were down 7.15. Beating the S&P 500 in any given year is a challenge. So beating the S&P 500 every year for nearly a quarter century is extraordinary. Beating the S&P 500 every year for nearly a quarter century by 40% is all but impossible. Listeners, all but impossible. So typically, when people look at performance numbers for active trading strategies, they look at gross returns and don't pay attention to taxes. So I wanted to just see how damaging paying taxes and short-term gains would be to a taxable portfolio. So we don't do that. We, again, in our IRA enhancer strategy, that's why we make tactical moves there because we don't pay all the taxes. But going back to 1990, if you had invested $10,000 in the S&P 500 and held on through 2013, you would have amassed $76,000 assuming taxes and paid annually dividends. Now, the taxes I, I kind of concluded was is that you use the 15% tax rate from the George Bush era and I used roughly a, what's called a modest tax rate for 30% on federal and, and uh, middle market bracket. Now, if the best trader of all time invested 10000 in 1990 and beat the S&P 500 every year by 40% net of taxes, he would have amassed only $69,197, less than the buy and hold investor, not even factoring in trading costs. Now, you've kind of heard me talk about buy and hold. I don't believe in it. But 1990 to 2000 was buy and hold. 2000 to 2014 was not buy and hold. 1990 to 2000, I didn't mention this, was 28.8% per year. So you basically made a lot of money during that time period before the internet was created. And if you missed our show last week, go back and listen because we talked about the 70s. We talked about the creation of CNBC. We we talked about moving forward with that. Um, Nobody can argue that buy and hold isn't ripe without drawdowns, but 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 nothing to stroke your ego and is extremely boring, in my opinion. Um, however, for taxable accounts, it's hard. You'd be hard pressed to find a better alternative than than um, than buy and hold if you are out there. Um, for non-taxable accounts like IRAs, uh, you got to move forward. Now, I'm, I kind of skipped a bit part. I want to talk about the numbers that I was that uh, that I was talking about from 1990 to 2000. Uh, 10,000 to 69,000, 10,000 to 75,000 the S&P 500 are pretty astounding. But I want to emphasize that the point of the exercise is not to suggest that trading is for, for fools or that it can't be done. I want to demonstrate that taxes on short-term gains can be a huge impediment to accumulating wealth. Had the best trader of all time achieved these same returns in a tax-deferred account, he would have amassed roughly about $192,000. So keep in mind, that's why we talk about the IRA enhancer strategy. We are traders there. We are looking for the common denominator. We are moving and buying the common denominator in the best sector that we can find. And you can go to westonbanks.com. You can look at IRA enhancer. And and we are moving money to that area. But since we're not paying taxes, we we are ahead of the game. And the point about the IRA enhancer is to never lose money. Every single manager in the IRA enhancer can go to cash and T-bills in market stress. Two of our managers went through 2001 and 2002. Two of our managers were there in 2008. 
and both of those four managers were out of the market with no losses. So I'm Jason Steele. I'm here for Media and Your Money. Uh, join us next week at 9 o'clock Eastern Time, uh, uh, 6 o'clock Pacific Time, and we'll kind of walk you through and give you some more common denominators out there and talk about what works and what doesn't work. But check us out at westonmanks.com. Send me an email at jason.steel with an E at westonmanks.com or info at westonmanks.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to answer questions for you. We'll see you next week. Thank you again for tuning in this week to Media and Your Money. Please join your host, Jason Steele, again next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk next week. Oh, 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 oh,